0: Welcome to the Autism and Theology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Autism and Theology at the University of Aberdeen. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Autism and Theology podcast. My name is Krisha and I'm so excited that you've joined us this week. This podcast is a space where we will be engaging with the latest conversations in the field of autism and theology, share relevant resources and promote ways that help faith and non-faith communities enable autistic people to flourish. Our podcast episodes are released on the first Wednesday of every month, with Cat Chat on every third Wednesday where your hosts share news and answer your questions. The podcast is run from the University of Aberdeen's Centre for Autism and Theology, which we have shorted to CAT. Today I am joined by Dr Precious Sango, who is a Senior Lecturer in Health and Social Care at London Metropolitan University. Hello Precious.
1: Hi y'all, thanks for having me.
0: It's How great are you? To- I'm good, thank you. It's great to have you on. And I guess it would be really good for listeners who haven't Um, read your work before to give us a little information about yourself and what you do and how you've ended up on this podcast.
1: Yeah that's okay that's good I'll start off Um, so yeah my name is Precious and um, I guess I'll start with my educational background a little bit so I have a doctorate in um, intellectual and developmental disabilities from the TISA Centre, SSPSSR at the University of Kent. So I completed this in 2015 and defended in 2016. I remember I was pregnant actually when I defended, which is an interesting and memorable time. So my my doctorate is the same age as my second son, which is interesting. Anyway, Um, So this thesis looked at the significance of spirituality in faith and non-faith-based care services for people with intellectual disabilities and um, autistic people as well. So it was um, conducted under the supervision of Professor Rachel Forrester-Jones, amazing supervisor and we have her in common, Chrissa.
0: We
1: do. Um, And um, (laughs) Professor Michael Cannon was the second supervisor. So I'm just giving them a shout out because they were very supportive, especially Rachel. I mean, I always say I had the best supervisor to do my my pieces, especially when you hear horror stories about PhD supervisions and supervisors. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, um, that's kind of a little about me. I mean, I also have a master's in intellectual and developmental disabilities and a degree in psychology. Oh, from the University of Kent. So that's kind of a bit about me in terms of my educational background. Um, I'm not sure what else you would like me to say. Is that enough, Chris? I think that's enough.
0: Um, it, what would be really interesting to know is what led you to do your PhD on spirituality of autistic people and people with intellectual disabilities.
1: Okay, so it's a long one, but I guess because of time, let me try and... Be brief. <laughs> so it, it starts with my own personal journey. So I do have a faith, you know, I believe I believe in in God, in in Jesus. I'm a Christian. And when I was young, right, living in Nigeria. Okay. So I'm I'm Nigerian British. So when I was young living in Nigeria, I had um a friend, family, you know. Because being in Nigeria, you, you grow up with different kids around you, right? So there yeah. was this um, friend of ours, I would call him, who was uh, disabled, right? But now, retrospectively, when I think about it, I feel like he may have been, um, he may have had um, cerebral palsy and um, autistic spectrum, right? But because of the stigma attached to disabilities in Nigeria then, this was many years ago, but it. The stigma is still there even today, unfortunately. But anyway, um, usually I remember there was one time we were going somewhere in a car, right? I told you a long story, but bear with me, I'll get to the main <laughs> point. But we were we were going somewhere. I think we were visiting either going to a party or I was really young, but anyway, so we were going in a car to go to this place, and he was gonna come with us, but someone told him not to get in the car. Um, And that really made an impression on me. I was really sad by that, you know. And again, this is kind of me seeing all the stigma and the kind of discrimination surrounding that, you know. Um, And anyway, so that was one instance. But apart from that, um, when I came here many, many years later, I met a friend who is, well, they don't call it Asperger anymore, but he's within the spectrum and he was a really good friend and um, he's a Christian as well. And I remember thinking, this is interesting, coming from Nigeria and the way people viewed people who were disabled or who were different, let's say, right, compared to here, I mean, this is quite different. I mean, this is a friend of mine. I mean, he's like me, we have different faith we discuss theology and you know there's nothing different from him and me right so and I'm thinking this is interesting why is it that no one is actually looking into not just the stigma surrounding disabled people in Nigeria or in developing countries but also here as well because yes mind you yeah I came here many years ago I've lived here I've worked in services as well and I see you know hints of stigma as well attached to people who are different right but here's a friend of mine he's you know intellectually sound he's I don't notice any difference right but unconsciously there's always that uh, bias okay that you you've kind of seen around you but then here we are debating theology we both have relationship with God and it's quite meaningful for both of us and I'm thinking why is it that no one is actually looking into this like why is it that no one is looking into the spiritual lives or the meaning of it if there's any of people who have you know intellectual disability or people who are autistic right um and even when I was doing my undergrad psychology and I took one module I remember with the TZAD I think it's called learning disability module I can't remember if that's I think I don't know if you took it as well Krista but it's uh, one of the learning disability modules it's like an optional module you get to take which the TZAD centre delivers and yeah that's how I kind of came across um disability studies um properly right and even in my reading and in my research and in my work and assessments you hardly see much about spirituality I mean you see things like sports um, drama you see things like um, you know um, performing arts Um, you, you see things like I don't know different things mindfulness helping people and the meaning of it and I'm thinking why is it that no one is looking into spirituality like is it that because we're in a secular society, you know, people just assume it's not important or people don't have that faith or it doesn't mean anything to, to people who are autistic or people who have intellectual disabilities. So that's that's kind of why it started. So it's a bit of a personal journey. But I said it's a long journey because I didn't really touch on all of the history. But just starting off with where I, I came from, Nigeria, the stigma attached and the different views you know, which people have about, you know, people who are different in in, in, the, in, in Nigeria and then coming here, that view still there, but then it was kind of um, challenged, I guess, you know, when I came here, it, it, something that I've always known anyway, you know, you know when you've always known that this is not right, but it's just you're now in a system that you're able to better um, explore it further, right, without, what's the word, without any um uh like any 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 barriers in a way okay so that's yeah away. i'm not sure if it makes sense what i'm trying to say
0: um it does make sense and it, it's to me it feels very um part of a long but logical journey and i think it's really interesting what you said about the understanding learning disabilities module because i didn't do i've taught on it at kent um it's not one that I did because I have a background in languages. So mm-hmm. I came from a slightly different background. Mm-hmm. But certainly my exposure to disability studies and critical autism studies and thinking about well, what, where we are, these gaps kind of came from a place of realising from my personal life, much like you, with friends I had and things I was doing, going, hang on, there's a gap here. Yeah. Going and having a look in the literature and going, why is no one talking about this?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing, yeah. It's like and also for me it was so real because I had this friend of mine and I mean it's 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 normal to him to have faith, you know, it's it's normal to him to debate and question and you know, like we had interesting debates and I'm thinking, I mean, all well and good. Sports is great, don't get me wrong, you know, sports is fine, theatre is fine, drama is fine, it contributes to people's quality of life, I'm sure. But also spirituality you know faith religion does also um, contribute to people's quality of life even those who do not have faith it's also interesting to hear their own experiences as well you know so yeah that's kind of how I came into this research area so I remember when I proposed the idea when I think I applied for funding I didn't get it at first (laughs) So the funny that applied for was to the teaser Center, I think you know they do their PhD calls yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah. So it was on So I had proposed this idea to look at this. I think it was spirituality of people in general. So anyway, you know how the journey goes. It kind of gets shaped into what it is today. But anyway, um, when I sent through the idea, I, I did get invited for interview. Um, lovely, you know, the interviewees. I don't know name names because confidentiality I guess I don't know but anyway so the yeah. interview experience was great but obviously I didn't get the funding someone else got it um and, and but they were kind enough to say actually um your 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 research proposal is interesting do you want to maybe speak with Rachel Professor Professor Jones because she's interested in that research area and I think um so that's how I reached out to Rachel um because um she was also my supervisor for the masters so I reached out to her this is kind of what I want to do and she was interested she said, oh yeah why not um so we you know worked together she really supported me she gave me guidance and you know I made changes to the proposal and then professor Chris Schilling very amazing um guy uh, well person, I would say because um, he was really supportive as well you know because Rachel reached out to say their funding because there was an that funding I think happening um within within that the, the university so yeah so we applied for it and um went for the interview and I got it yeah so that that that's my journey of getting funding yeah <laughs> it's not only straightforward <laughs> getting funding to be honest but yeah so that, that was so yeah most, Yeah, I'm thankful for for the SSPSSR team. um, Rachel and Chris for kind of supporting me through that process, to be honest. But yeah, so that's how I came to doing the topic and the doctorate. I think that hopefully that answers the question.
0: It does. And I wondered, actually, if we could chat about your PhD. what, What did you find in your PhD? Was there anything particularly interesting that you found? Yeah,
1: so there were... Well, a lot of findings,
0: <laughs>
1: um, huge, 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 huge document. But anyway, um, so I'll just talk about the main ones, really. Um, these these ones you would be able to find them in in the articles that you know I've published as well. If you type my my name in Google Scholar, Precious Sango, you should be able to see some of my my journals. Um, so one of basically the the main finding is that there is a positive, you know, association between spirituality social networks uh, and quality of life of people um, with intellectual disability and autistic people, um, which I'm sure you can add to with your own work as well. Um, And uh, basically, an aspect of it in relation to social network is that spirituality and religious practices or religious activities um, helps people with expanding their social network and as we know you know from many of Rachel's work on social networks um you know you you may be able to comment on that is that people with intellectual disability for example have minimal social network you know but for example I found in one of um the the data we collected that people who are living in the faith-based service had like higher networks so an individual would have like 78 people in their network for example again mind you this data was collected in 2014 2015 right and then people in the non-faith-based service had about 44 so you can see the difference right and the difference being that people who are in the faith-based service they were being um, supported to take part in both religious and non-religious activities and the others they were more focused on um, ad hoc basis of you know religious spiritual support for example if they wanted to go to church for example but then there were other um, barriers in terms of providing these kind of supports that we found. So that's one of the findings in terms of expanding one's uh, social network. And then the other one related to the fact that looking at the data, because, again, I used mixed methods, so it was both qualitative and quantitative. So I used some measures. So one of the measures I used was the Brief Spiritual Beliefs Inventory. Okay, which is the systems of belief inventory fifteen hour. Revision. I think if you Google, you will find it. but basically we found that those who were reporting um, higher scores um, were also the ones that had higher social network, okay. And again, it just seems to show that people who were engaging in spiritual religious activities, were having opportunities to expand their social networks which I can actually relate to from my own personal experience I'm quite an introverted person and you know if I think about the friends I have apart from academia but outside of that um, it's mainly from churches right it's mainly from the church that I've been to um, for example my um, Anyway, we can talk about church later, but anyway, mainly from from church in a way, so I can understand that. And then the other aspect um, of the finding related to um, spiritual support, spiritual care in these services. So it was found that um, staff in faith-based services were able to provide both religious and non-religious spiritual support. Those in the non-faith based service mostly provided religious spiritual support. So for example, like I said, if if they found that the person was religious and they wanted to go to church and they had time, for example, because time was again another issue in providing these supports that were not like functional or, you know, um as part of the job, because again, cost of money, cost of staffing and time. Um, so so that was kind of that aspect of the finding but again another interesting part was the fact that those in the faith-based services so the staff had training related to providing spiritual support as well again because it's a faith-based service so they they trained staff on how to provide spiritual support what it looked like and explored it in different ways which i think that was a really good thing and um, very effective in supporting people who support individuals for example um, and then another aspect of my um, finding relates to um, so those who were in the faith-based service recorded highly on the quality of life scores because we use the quality of life um, measure and they, theirs was higher so their mean score was higher than those in the non-faith-based service and obviously this correlated again with the spiritual measures as well okay so obviously this seems to suggest that um, spirituality does contribute to most aspects of the quality of life measures um, that participants um, completed okay so those are kind of the main findings in a way if the hell there were others but I think I'll stick to these and you can find out more if you read the article anyway so I don't bore you too much.
0: <laughs> I think what I've really enjoyed listening to particularly is actually how some of your findings are actually transferable to other kind of people so you worked with mainly with people who live in services and obviously not all people with intellectuals intellectual disabilities and autistic people will live in services but as an autistic person who is highly introverted myself I was thinking actually you know when I think of the people who I interact with and the people who I kind of do stuff with then there are an awful lot of people who I know through churchy networks mm-hmm. and and the, who I who I would count as very supportive in that mm-hmm. way and mm-hmm. um, so I think that's it's, it's a really important finding actually I think that can be generalised beyond what you have and actually it's really that's really important and I guess another th- thing that would be really useful for maybe us to draw out is actually how important spirituality can be and existential worldviews that actually everybody has an existential existential worldview and that includes autistic people and um, inter- people with intellectual disabilities even yeah. though we often think that that's not the case actually it absolutely is the case.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean in my um in my pieces I was working with um well what will I call it? This uh so I came up with this um multi-dimensional framework, right? Because obviously I needed to have um like an understanding of what spirituality meant and what I was measuring right and um, because again there are so many different um definitions of spirituality you know if you look at literature you know you have different people defining what spirituality means you know for example faith in the sacred best a relationship which to preach the brain power all of that so what I did um in my in my thesis was I kind of merged all of these in a way and I created like a a diagram I was playing around but um I think I think it does make sense so if you read my paper you would see um the multi-dimensional working definition um, of spirituality that I came up came up with and basically what that says is that um, again, informed by relevant literature, because I read across different literatures within religion, psychology, like different fields, and to see how they define spirituality. So basically, what this multidimensional approach uh, was saying is that there, so there are three dimensions right to spirituality. So you have. Um, one which is transcendence. So spirituality, let's start off, is belief in the supernatural. Spiritual supernatural could be different things, different meanings for different people, right? But within that spirituality, you have three dimensions, right? You have um, transcendence, okay, the supernatural existence, and then you have the connection and relationship aspect, you know, with self, with nature, with the supernatural. Then you have the meaning and purpose, okay, making sense of life, striving for answers, but then within these dimensions, you could either be within the religious, um, religious and spirituality angle, okay, within these dimensions, or you can go within the non-religious spirituality. So if you're within the religious spirituality, it kinda includes both belief and the practice. Okay. And in the non-religious spirituality is both is is mainly just the, the the practice of it, not necessarily the belief. Okay, and you may not necessarily practice it within a traditional religious setting, for example. So you may have people that say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, and then you have people that say, I'm religious and I'm spiritual. So that's kind of what I was trying to break down. But anyway, it's all included in my paper. If you read it, it, it would yeah. make a bit more sense. But basically, like, just going on what you were saying earlier, yeah, there are people who identify with different, because it's like a spectrum, isn't it? Um, yeah. There are people who kind of identify with different levels, different dimensions of spirituality. For me, it might be different from yours or someone else, but it doesn't mean that they don't have um, a spiritual belief or a spiritual um, um element to them, if that makes sense. So yeah, I felt like it was important to explore that and to understand how that was significant or not, you know, for for people with
0: intellectual disabilities
1: and autistic people, for example.
0: And was there anything that you found that surprised you or was all of it as expected? So. Interestingly, um because the way
1: I collected data was I spent like six months in each services, right? Um, you know, I was kind of part of helping, for example, supporting just observing, carrying out data, getting to know participants as well. Um I wouldn't really say surprised because I tried to go in not really knowing what to expect, right? Because you know, especially when you've read a lot of literature that tells you that people don't have belief you know even have ridiculous people saying oh they don't people with intellectual disabilities or autistic people don't have an understanding of spirituality like they don't you know some people talk about how it's too abstract for them and things like I'm like okay that's a bit condescending isn't it just a bit (laughs) yeah but yeah so yeah you read all the things so you don't really know what to expect when you go in but I wasn't really surprised I think what some, some of what participants were telling me I think I remember this participants from the faith, faith-based service I won't say their name obviously but they, they're autistic right and they were telling me things like the way they defined spirituality and their belief was so deep to me that it kind of um I found it encouraging for my own faith right because their understanding of like you know the trinity they gave me this understanding about the trinity the way the way they explained there and they understood it i'm like okay wow this is definitely the opposite of what i've been reading you know which i kind of knew because i had a friend who like i said is on the spectrum and you know we debated spirituality and everything but yeah so going in the service and hearing how um she she explained um Spirituality, the meaning for her, the relationship between Jesus, the Spirit, and God. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So for me, it was um, it was encouraging for my own spiritual journey. To be honest, here and there. Um, so I wouldn't say surprised. I think I was maybe encouraged if that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, which I still remember today. I mean, that was many years ago, and I, and it still stands out to me so deeply, even today. You know. Um, But yeah, I think that's, I would say encouraged, not really surprised, but encouraged, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I've also been equally encouraged by what I'm doing in my PhD, where I've Mm -hmm. spoken to autistic people about identity, spoke to Christians and Muslims about identity, and also then spoken to autistic people who currently and have used to in the past attend churches and mosques. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing I found really encouraging was actually especially when I spoke to the autistic people in churches and mosques, how much bits of their story overlapped with mine. That wasn't something I was necessarily expecting. If I put all kind of eight of my participants, they all had fragments mm-hmm. of my story in it. And I think if I had kept talking to, to more people, if I'd had, had unlimited time and unlimited funds, yeah. there'd, there'd be so much overlap. Yeah. And I think that, that's what I thought. I think, although I did I went in rightly with an open mind, I was just mm. really surprised about how yeah. much everyone overlapped each other, even though everyone had such different journeys and even beliefs as well. I had people who were atheists, people who were humanists, people who were Pentecostal Christians, people who were C of E, all sorts of people, Sunni Muslims, all, all mm. sorts of people were different, almost different ways of expressing the spirituality in different religious beliefs or non-religious beliefs. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it is, it is, it is quite encouraging. But yeah, so that's what I would say to that question.
0: Yeah, and I think this actually links really well to a a paper we currently wrote together. So we currently recently wrote a paper for Theology Mm -hmm. of Scotland about autistic people in churches. Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: wonder if you could give us a quick overview of kind of what we kind of wrote about, or if there was anything particularly important for you in that paper? Yeah.
1: Okay. So, yeah, the paper, yeah, Autism, Faith and Churches, um, yeah. the research landscape and where we go next. I think mean, that's the title, if I got it right. But anyway, um, yeah, so we looked at the complex intersection between um, autism, faith, and church experiences. And I quite like the approach we took to this because. Um, You know, obviously drawing from our own personal experiences, but also research experiences, we kind of discuss how churches, despite being potential places of support, um, may have unique barriers. You know, for autistic people, um, due to social influences, but also due to some interpretations of theological perspectives, for example. Um, and so we kind of talked about the importance of um. I guess the importance of considering, yes, yeah, spiritual, intellectual, cultural, but also a historical perspectives when approaching some of these theological interpretations, if that makes sense. Um, so we highlighted the challenges that autistic people face in churches, okay, including social, cultural, and biblical. Um negative narratives for example um or would i say negative interpretations i think i think yeah that's, the, that's what i would say i wouldn't say yeah, yeah i would say it is negative interpretations because again mind you the bible can be interpreted in different ways so again we cannot talk about that and we recommended um the need for uh deeper understanding and training so for example the need for uh churches to better understand uh, autism, but also for churches to co-produce um, some of um, their materials, either um, preaching, materialized sermon materials, um, alongside autistic people. Um, but also, I think we also discussed like having autistic people visible in churches as well, you know, like in positions of leadership. I think we touched about up on that. Um, but also we talked about. The importance of acknowledging variety of different religious experience among autistic individuals, you know, including both positive and negative aspects um, to just see how they can be reconciled and addressed. Because some of these experiences can be traumatic for some people or have been traumatic for some people. So it is quite important the way that they are approached, um, but also the need for more research focusing on, um, you know, religious and spiritual lived experiences of autistic individuals, but also knowing why um, churches, maybe this is kind of what I'm taking away. I'm not sure if we included that in our research, but I think this is kind of where we're going to next, uh, Krista, in terms of Okay, so there are usually resources out there on okay how to be more inclusive in churches, especially when it comes to autistic people. There are usually resources out there. We've seen some. I've seen some.
0: Yeah. But
1: why is it that some churches? I don't want to say all. Oh, why is it that some, or would I say most? I'll be brave to say most, are not really taken on board some of these resources? Is it that they don't know? Um, is it that they don't want to? There are different factors, right? because, yeah, you know, we're doing all this research. Yeah, I'm, I've done my research, my thesis, you're doing yours. Naomi's doing theirs, for example, and, well, they've done theirs, I think. And Yeah, they've know, done quite, theirs. Yeah, so quite other people are doing theirs in terms of religion, spirituality, autistic people, people with intellectual disabilities. And there's this theme of, yeah, there needs to be more inclusion. More needs to be done and there's these recommendations right but what is it that is stopping religious organizations from being inclusive right are we are we making assumptions ourselves this is my question to myself as well we're just blindly saying oh churches are not inclusive they're not doing anything but we don't know why do we actually know why can we 100% say that we know why can we 100% say that the reason why churches are not doing that is because they don't want to do you see what I mean? Like, has anyone actually gone out? If if there's a researcher out there, because this is what we're exploring now, Krista, if there's any researcher yeah. out there who has looked into it and said, Yes, I know why churches are not um being inclusive is because they don't want to. Right? We don't really have an answer to why you know so I, that's kind of what where I think that's what
0: was next from the paper that we wrote yeah. yeah and I think the other main takeaway and this has come through in the master's research I did also very heavily in the thesis I'm currently writing is how each church each mosque you have they are also different to each mm-hmm. other they almost have their own culture
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I also wonder if this is why perhaps because of the kind of lack of connection between different groups of how people practice or do mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. actually that there is this lack of connection so there are going to be some people who will know some of the fantastic resources out there mm-hmm. and there'll be some people who would have never even if you google some of this stuff it will come up really quite quickly on google mm-hmm. they just would have never thought to have googled or these other barriers to why they might have not found or accessed this stuff
1: mm-hmm yeah so it's yeah so it's quite interesting you know the fact that there is it because yeah we we don't we don't quite know right there are different reasons as to why but I think it would be quite good to kind of pinpoint the main factors contributing to this so that again solutions can be you know co-produced you know if for example we know for certain it's mainly due to culture the way people do things are different okay fine can we all work together and see how things can be done differently for example but we don't know that for sure it might be the case for some churches but not for the others do you see what I mean so I think there is um yeah there's a gap there in in terms of exploring what the main barriers are for churches from their perspectives I think because yeah you know it's good to um Say yeah, we think it's because of this because people have different experiences of okay, I went to this church and you know it's too loud and all of that stuff and so it's not comfortable for me. Okay, what is the what has happened before? Is, is it your first time there? Have you spoken to them? Do you see what I mean? So there are different experiences that people yeah. have that with these different experiences there is a narrative that is coming through as to why churches are not inclusive but no, I don't I don't I haven't read of any paper that has focused on churches and say let's go and speak to these church yeah. leaders and do you see what I mean like I do I haven't found it at
0: least There's a lot of people I know who do things on the ground and do a lot of informal research which I think Mm -hmm. is fantastic Mm -hmm. and I think it's about time that people who are in kind of in academia like us Mm -hmm. start to question why academia hasn't followed what these people who've been doing informal research been doing consultancy for 10 20 30 years why haven't we not so much pulled on their knowledge and used it to make a paper why haven't we been asking the same questions yeah why haven't we followed that same path of curiosity um and what why is it that this is such an untouched area when we compare it to other both aspects of religious studies, sociology of religion and also in, uh, disability and autism studies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is also, very valid.
0: And I think also there's this disjoint between when we think of academia, between um, disability studies and religious studies to some degree anyway, where the two don't really talk to each other.
1: Mm-hmm. And I wonder
0: how much of that might contribute some of our lack of questioning Mm-hmm. To some of the things which some people are doing fantastically, on the ground as consultants or informal researchers or independent researchers, which hasn't quite made its way into the academy yet.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, why do you why do you think that is? I mean, I have different theories, but why do you think that is?
0: I think I almost see like you had your multidimensional. Definition of spirituality. I see a multi-dimensional reasons, all kind of overlapping and intersecting together, mm-hmm. almost to be like a flower with lots of different bits all overlapping in the middle, with different mm-hmm. parts all overlapping to different degrees. With some of the bits we've already spoken about. Mm-hmm. So I think where people disciplines don't necessarily talk to each other, there's sometimes a lack of funding or yeah. a lack of perceived interest. Um, I think there's also the some of the priorities when we look at people's um, interests in disability and autism studies research, that intersection with kind of spirituality may not necessarily be there or that may yeah. not necessarily be as well represented, yeah. especially where religious studies is really, really, really nebulous anyway. Yeah. And there's lots of people doing fantastic and theological work and um, pastoral theology, which we absolutely need, but there isn't as much social science investigation. I think it's because it's not seen as a popular topic, I think because there's kind of different countries will have different approaches as well, so as we know there's a lot of literature within the US, there's much less um, in the UK and in other countries as well, and obviously religion takes different importances in different countries obviously you've got separation from religion in the state in some countries and somewhere it's much more embedded as a way of life yeah. so I think it's really really complex mm-hmm. and to put it down to one thing on its own would be quite hard but I think there's yeah. lots of reasons why
1: yeah I definitely agree I think we kind of highlighted that as well in our paper yeah um, And I think we mainly talked about funding as well Um, but yeah, like you said, there are multidimensional, um, factors, actually why that is. But I think just going back to what you were saying about, you know, in academia, especially within social sciences, kind of going on and carrying on with what people are doing informally already, because again, it's, it's, it's getting it out there, isn't it? In terms of the knowledge, right? And kind of sharing that knowledge with people, um, but also being able to use that knowledge to do better, right? So that in, in, I don't know, 30 years' time, we're not still saying the same thing, Chris, that we're not on this podcast talking about. Yes. (laughs) But I don't know. But, yeah, hopefully in 30 years' time, we'll talk about how things have improved and more inclusion. (laughs) Who knows?
0: Yeah. And are there any practical takeaway points that, Care providers, the kind of like services you worked in, as part of your PhD and outside, or churches could take away from your research. Um, I think um, it would probably be yeah.
1: Again, just acknowledging um the fact that people have different religious experiences, right? Um, and which are meaningful to them, right? Um, it, it's it might not necessarily be the way you see spirituality yourself, but it's uh, it's meaningful to people for those who have any beliefs. But also for those who do not have uh, a belief, they also uh, benefit from, you know, for example, social events, for example, or or. or having friends, for example. I mean, there's no one who doesn't benefit from having friends or just participate in an activity even though they don't have any belief. So I just think it's us being aware and changes, changing this narrative that people with intellectual disability or autistic people don't have an understanding of what spirituality is. Right? I think that's one thing I would want to just generally take away, just that narrative that, no, they don't understand it, they don't be, I mean, I don't understand spirituality, how can they understand spirituality? That's kind of the narrative you get, especially when you read all this literature, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think that's one thing, it's just changing that narrative, right? Um, and then again, it's just um, looking, I think for churches is inclusion, like, again, being inclusive in their practices, but also in their, uh, like, sermons, right? in the way they deliver their sermons okay you know because you have traditional ways okay this is how the sermon is done it has to be done this way in some churches okay but i think there needs to be a bit more um some are probably doing it i've seen some some good examples to be honest but just being inclusive in our in sermons right inclusive innovative creative so that you're able to not just cater to one type of person who has that type of way of gaining information. So I think that is one thing I would say in terms of churches, not just not just inclusive in the environment or the attitudes and, and the cultures, but also inclusive in the delivery of you know, the messages, for example. And in terms of services, I think I would say there needs to be more training in you know, on, um, providing spiritual care, right? You know i mean there are some you know maybe on modules you you see some topics or talks on mindfulness you see talks on yeah people have different beliefs you know when you talk about diversity i mean i in, in my teaching because i teach in health and social care and i mean i remember i'm the one having to bring in sometimes when i teach spirituality because that's my area but it's not really It's not mainstreamed yet. I don't think it's mainstreamed enough because you have people who are going to be going into services, who are going to be dealing with vulnerable people in hospitals, encountering people with intellectual disabilities and autistic people. They need to be able to know how to provide spiritual care. You know, it's not just something you... It's not just something you know because you have a belief. Even if you are a Christian, you may not have a clue on how to provide spiritual care you know so I feel like there needs to be more training and education um, yeah because
0: professionals it's very different having a conversation about your faith and trying to convince someone to to, to think the same as you are to actually providing care that's empathetic to someone else's beliefs standpoint and lived experience it's two completely different things very different
1: yeah very different so I think there needs to be a bit more in light of that, you know, um, yeah, those are the three things I would say
0: in terms of
1: think takeaways.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So if you want to read the paper that Precious and I Precious and I wrote, you can read it at bit.ly slash aut hyphen church where hyphen next. And um, how is best for anybody who's interested in um, Uh, getting in contact with you precious how would be best to get in contact with you
1: uh email yeah email is fine uh p.sango at londonmet.ac.uk and um yeah if you want to read any of my papers just go to a google scholar type in precious sango you will see some of my papers there
0: and that wraps up this episode of um the Autism and Theology Podcast. It's been fantastic to have a discussion with you, Precious. And thank you so much to our listeners. If you have any questions, including um about some of the t- topics we've discussed, you can message us at, at autism theology on X or Instagram, or you can send us an email at cat at abdn dot ac.uk we would love to hear from you even if it's just to say hi or send a picture of your cat we've absolutely loved receiving pictures of your cats and your pets since we've shared ours (laughs) um our next cat chat will be out on the third wednesday of this month and we'll see you soon Thank you for listening to the Autism and Theology podcast. If you have any questions for us or just want to say hi, please email us at cat@abdn.ac.uk, at or find us on Twitter at Autism Theology.